0: Well, whenever we have opportunity to open the Word of God on a, on a Sunday night, it's, it's kind of a challenge sometimes to know where to go and what passage to read uh, and to minister to you. Um, and I just try to think about what the Lord is trying to teach me in my life and what might be beneficial for you. And uh, so I was thinking about this in light of the opportunity and thought about the transitions that we have in life. I'm thinking about some of the transitions that we have upcoming and those even that we've experienced in the past year or two. Um, how, many of you, how many of you remember the first day you had at a new school? Uh, do you remember those days, kind of the anticipation of that? My first day at inner city, I was coming into sixth grade and we're all meeting in the back parking lot, all the sixth graders were back there. My parents, for some reason, decided to get my braces put on that summer and I had a pallet expander That separated my first, my front two teeth about maybe a tooth distance apart. So I was the kid with the funny teeth. Coming into a brand new school, I could spit water through my teeth without even having to open my mouth hardly. I remember uh, that uh, first day, the anticipation and excitement of finally getting to come to Intercity Christian School and looking a little awkward that day. In fact, uh, that was the time my wife first met me in sixth grade. She wasn't my wife then, uh, but she first met me and her first thoughts were, is the kid funny or weird? And uh, that was her first thought she had of me. I don't know what your first day of school was like. Maybe you remember the first day you started a new job. Um, after working here at the church for a number of years, Marsha went into the uh, work, workplace and uh, started a new job. I remember the first day of, after so many years of working at the same place, she was excited and nervous. And, and remember uh, that first day she started that new job. May, many of you have faced new life stages, or maybe to face some diminishing physical capacities that have put you kind of into a new spot in your life. Some in our church family are newly married or newly new parents or new parents of of twins. Uh, Others are empty nesters. Others are living with a limp and others are just adjusting to new things. We're all kind of in a, Point of transition, it seems like in our lives. Some will be moving to warmer places in the next month or so. Peter, Abby, isn't it hard to pray for somebody who's going to be in the warm winter? I find that a bit of a challenge, but we'll be praying for them. So there's just transitions in life. And as we face those transitions, we face a mix of excitement and anticipation for any number of reasons. You know, even in the excitement, sooner or later, there seems to be a bit of uncertainty of what lies ahead. And, and so there's many questions and, and things that sometimes challenge us. I like to go to the same restaurants. I like to go to the same places. I just like to do the same thing. I've lived in my house, Marshall. I've lived in our house for, you know, 25, 30 years. I don't want to move. I, I enjoy the same things. I just, I just like those routines. Tonight, in, in the few moments that we have together, I want us to study a passage that will help us to see how we can face transitions with, with, with certainty, with truth from God that helps us. Uh, I know these, these transitions sometimes are uh, nervousness, and maybe you're a student who's going to graduate this year and go off somewhere, and, and it's, it's a time of excitement and yet concern. And I want us tonight to look at the word of God and see that we can have confidence that God gives joy and excitement, even in these times, because we know the one who walks us, walks with us through life's transitions. In our Sunday school class, we've been studying the life of Moses, and we, a few weeks ago, came to the end of our study, and we see in Moses' life, he comes to that point. The children of Israel now have a transition, and I want us to look tonight at the Word of God. The truth is simply this, that believers can have confidence. Believers can have confidence in times of transition. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31, and I just want to read the first 13 verses of the chapter to kind of show us the narrative of what's happening, and then from that draw four truths that can help us have confidence as believers in in the Lord Jesus Christ when we face times of transition, when things are different, we anticipate things won't be the same. Deuteronomy chapter 31, the first 13 verses, and, and I'll read them for us tonight to have the context and to see what is happening. Again, Deuteronomy 31, verse one. So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I am no longer able to come and go. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord, your God, who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you just as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them just as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you shall go with these people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to them and you shall give it, them, give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests and the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts, at the at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the men and the women and children and the alien who is in your town, so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law. Their children who have not known will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess." So again, this, this is at the end of Moses' life as, as, as he's preparing to, 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 to die and, and the children of Israel are going to go into the promised land. This is God's word through Moses to these people as they began their transition. And again, I say to you, times of transition are, are times of uncertainty. We don't exactly know what's going to happen. Maybe we've never been there before. We've never experienced this before. And as Christians, we can have confidence, though, because we know God is with us. God is right there with us. And so the truth is simply this, that believers can have confidence in times of transition. So four things I think from this passage, from these verses that help us to see that. Number one, if you're gonna have confidence in times of transition, you must accept that transitions are inevitable. Transitions are inevitable. It is part of God's plan. Transitions are inevitable. It is part of God's plan. Moses acknowledges that he will not go into the promised land. He says that in verse 2. Now, Moses' life is interesting. He's 120 here, and his life is divided into how many sections? Do you know? Three. Three sections of 40. Okay? And, and we see that as you look at the life of Moses. The first 40 years, Moses spends his life in Egypt. He's, he's in Pharaoh's house and and he's 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 learning as he's there in Pharaoh's house and then the next 40 years you know the the transition is he thinks this is the time he's going to lead the people so he goes out and he sees uh he sees the fight going on between the Egyptian and and the Israelite and he thinks now's the time he steps in and kills the Egyptian it was not God's time it was the wrong time and uh and and then he thinks he's the deliverer the next day he comes out and they say what are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian and he runs and spends the next 40 years in Midian, in the wilderness, and and spends the lessons in the backside of Midian to, to learn these things. And then the last 40 years, from age 80 to age 120, he's leading the children of Israel. He's leading them out of Egypt and through the wanderings of the wilderness. He's at the end of this time. He's at He's at 120 years, and he says, now it's time to step aside. Again, look at the passage that we read. He, he acknowledges that this is the time that he would go. He would not be able to go with them. Rather, he would die. Verse 2 says, he says, I am no longer able to come and go. I am no longer able to come and go. And I think he's just expressing the fact that his natural human limitations are limiting him. Okay? We see later that, that really his, he's 120 years old. He's advanced in years And he's saying it's time for somebody else to take over. But remember, he was remarkably strong. Chapter 34, it says that, that his eyes weren't dim and his vigor was not abated. Yet when he says, I'm no longer able to come and go, he's really expressing the idea that the day to day ongoing task of leading this large group of people is just, you know, he's 120 years old and he just can't, he can't do it. He expresses the natural limitations of a, of a human. But notice how he completes that in verse two. It says, and the Lord said to him, you shall not cross this Jordan. Not only the natural limitations of his humanity, but it's time for him to step aside because God had placed a limitation on him. And that was that he had disobeyed God. Moses did not treat God as holy when he disobeyed and struck the rock. And what did God tell Moses? He said that you will not be able to lead the people into the land, not going into the promised land. It had to be so disappointing for Moses. Spent all of his life anticipating leading the children of Israel. God had a plan, and yet Moses disobeyed, and it must have been so disappointing. And yet Moses doesn't sit and have a pity party, does he? He's disappointed, But he doesn't fuss and he doesn't fight the transition that he faced. In fact, if you look at the larger context even of this, you see that Moses has accepted it and he is active in preparing God's people to do God's work when his time is done. And so it must have been a disappointment to him. I wonder how you and I would handle that. How would we handle those kind of disappointments? As I said, Moses didn't throw a pity party. He kept doing what God asked him to do, and he finished well. Understand, though, that transitions are a natural part of our life. They're inevitable, and they're in your life, and they're in my life. I think it's important that we think about this and remember that these things are inevitable for several reasons. I just thought of this as, as I was preparing. I thought, why is it so important that we would recognize that these things are inevitable in our lives. Well, I think about the fact that our days are numbered. Our days are limited. Psalm 90, and I just came up with several passages I wanted to read for you. I say our days are limited. It's important that each of us remember that our days are limited. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, so Lord teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. How many days do you have? You know, I don't know, but who does? God knows. And got to remember that our days are limited. We don't have an indefinite number of days to serve the Lord. James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city, spend a year there and engage in business and make profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your, in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows to do the right thing and does not do it, to him it is sin. Understand that our days are limited. Our days are limited and the time to work is when? Now. Okay, the, the time to do whatever we're going to do is now. God gives us today today. One of the verses that I love to remind myself of is in 1 Peter 4, 2, it says, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passes is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. And Peter reminds us that whatever's happened in our past, God gives us today in the rest of our life to do what? God's will. The time to work is now. Paul reflected this in Philippians 3 when he says, Not that I have already attained or already have become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The time to do this is when? Now, today, tonight, with the opportunity God's given us in front of us. Do you recognize that there will, become a, there will come a transition in your life when you will meet the Lord and others will take up where you are we don't know when that is, but it is inevitable. Our days are numbered. Our time is limited. The time to work is now. And I just thought of the just was thinking about this. I thought of a third reason why it's so important to think about that uh, that this transition is inevitable. Because we live now to please God and enjoy his reward later. We're living now for heaven, for later. It's not now, it's for heaven. And certainly we think of Matthew six, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I I like Colossians three, talks about how we're, we're laboring to please God. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So do you realize that these transitions in life are inevitable? They're really part of God's plan for us. You must embrace that. If we're going to live confidently in the transition, it's not something that will surprise us. It's something that we expect. It's inevitable. So that's number one. I hope you'll consider that tonight. Number two, you must keep God's work and God's workers in perspective. You must keep God's work and God's workers in perspective. You know, sometimes we wonder how we'll ever make it through a transition. You know, I often think about people who go to heaven leaving a spouse behind. We wonder how they'll ever make it without their loved one. And yet God provides for them. I think about the people who've, who've, who've ministered and served in this church. In the facilities, you know, many of you don't remember John Hubbard. Many of you will remember him. John Hubbard could fix anything, and he did that for years. you. Y'all remember John Hubbard? He could do—he could fix anything, and he—he—he he, he made stuff work here. Years and years passed, uh, what it was supposed to expire. Um, he did that for many years. His wife Mary ov- oversaw the cleaning in our church building, the facilities. In the 1980s, you'd wonder, how could our church ever make it without the Hubbards? And yet, God has provided the exact people to do that very thing. We have to remember to keep things in perspective. God always has his person in his time to do his work. Look again at the passage we looked at, Deuteronomy 31, verse 3. Moses acknowledges that the time for him is come and this transition will take place. Verse 3 then says, It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you just as the Lord has spoken. Okay. Deuteronomy 31.3, Moses realizes that his time is done. He reminds Israel that that the critical fact is that the Lord is with them. He will go with them as they face these people in the land of Canaan. It is the Lord who would dispossess these people. He he repeats these essential truths. Verse 6, it says, the Lord God is the one who goes with you. Verse 8, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. Verse 23, the Lord says to Joshua, I will be with you. And after Moses' death, the Lord says to Joshua in Joshua 1.5, just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. And in verse 9 of Joshua 1, it says, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, spade, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Though Moses couldn't be with them, as they went into the promised land, and there would be a new leader for the people, don't miss this, that God was still with them. God was leading and guiding and providing for them with his presence. So the question for you tonight is, who would cross ahead of the children of Israel? God or Joshua? What's the answer? Well, both. (laughs) Both. God and Joshua would go before them. But notice they have to be put in the right perspective, in the right order. Verse 3 says, God first and a new leader, Joshua, second. You must have that perspective of, of God's work, of God and his work and his workers. It is God who is the one who is leading. And why is this perspective so important? Why is it important that we keep this order right? Because it reminds us that it is the Lord Jesus Christ's church, not a person's church. Not our church, it's Christ's church. And we've got to remind ourselves of that. God cares about his church. Christ cares about his church. God cares for you and your home. God cares in your circumstance and will do his work. God will do that. But it reminds us as well that leaders are important. It would be Joshua who would be God's minister to lead them in this new role And we must honor leaders as Christ means to help us. All right, so are you with me so far? You're you're, you're with me? All right, number one, we have confidence in transition because we recognize they're inevitable and they're part of God's plan. Number two, we have confidence when we keep it in the right perspective. God, his work, and his workers. Number three, we can live confidently in transitions When we realize that even though the future will have challenges and have uncertainties, and there are uncertainties, aren't there? There are challenges in our future. Even though the future will have challenges and uncertainties, God's gracious provisions are sufficient for you. God's gracious provisions are sufficient for you. Verse three, again, of Deuteronomy 31 reminds us, Moses reminds the people what they knew very well, and that is there were going to be frightening enemies that they would have to conquer to take the promised land. Okay, there was going to be work to be done as they went, as they went into the promised land, but he, but he assures them, it is the Lord, your God, who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you reminds them in verse four that the Lord will do to them just as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites in their land, he destroyed them. These were the powerful kings who lived on the east side of the Jordan and God had already given Israel victory over them. He'd given them the land. And then regarding the future enemies, Moses repeats in verse five, the Lord will deliver them up before you. And so with this, with this passage, he's reminding Israel that there would be battles to face against powerful enemies that certainly would be, you know, you know, biting your nail kind of stuff. You know, how are we gonna do it? This is gonna be a challenge. It wasn't zippity-doo-dah, but God's presence and his strength would be displayed through the people. Now think about it. God could have, if he wanted to, as they're going into the promised land, send a plague and just destroy all the people, kill them instantly, right? And now they're dead and they, you know, the, Israel just scrapes them up and you know, goes in and takes over the land. God didn't do that, did he? They had work to do. They had to do the work. Why do you think God would want them to do that? So they'd learn to depend on God more and glorify God more as he worked through them. He didn't do what was easy for them, but the Lord would deliver these enemies for Israel. See, we want easy, don't we? We want easy. And yet God's goal is so much bigger than that. He wants to cultivate the character of Christ in us. He wants to grow us spiritually. He wants to make us stronger. He wants to cultivate in us a God-centered humility and dependence on him. Think about what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. And what does Paul say to that? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, for, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am, what? Strong. See, see for Paul and for us, God's goal for us isn't easy. It's Christ and, and God-centered dependence. Hey, look again back to chapter 31, three through five. Look at, look at the I wills of Deuteronomy 31, verse 3, 4, and 5. Do you see the I wills there? You see one in 3, one in 4, and one in 5. Verse 3, what does it say? <clears throat> it says, I will, be, I will be with, I'm sorry, the Lord will cross. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, verse, verse 3, it is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you the Lord will cross ahead of you. He will cross ahead of you. You see that the Lord promises that he will cross ahead of them. His presence is with them. Verse four, the Lord will do to them just as he did to these kings. And what's God going to do? The Lord will will do something. And what is that when God says, I will do something? That's not just his presence, that's his promise. And you see the promise of God And then verse five, you see his power, his power, the Lord will, what? Deliver them up before you. God's presence, God's promise, and God's power would be displayed as they faced this new future and this transition. The Christian life is is so many times depicted as a fight. We're called to put on the whole armor of God that would stand firm. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. The Christian life isn't easy, but the Christian life is all about us growing to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and let me ask you, I don't, maybe you're different than me. You know where I grow the most more like Christ? with challenges, uncertainties, difficulties. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know, to keep me from exalting myself, God says, no, Trace, let me kick out a couple of these things underneath you. And you see, I'm not as strong as I think I am. I'm not as smart as I think I am. I need God. And so we must remember this truth, that the future will have challenges and uncertainties, but God's gracious provision is sufficient. We must remember this truth because it reminds us of two things. First of all, there are things that only God can do, and he will do them for us. There are certain things that only God can do, and he will do them for us. But secondly, there are things that God can do, but he won't because he expects us to do them. And you got to work through that. And we, we get nervous about the future because it's uncertain and the challenges. And yet God promises sufficient grace for every one of these. And we can trust in that. It's not let go and let God, right? It's trust God and pick up your sword and fight. And I hope that makes sense to you. We we'll see that in this passage. Um, a lot more going on in this passage, verse 4 and 5. We, we talked a little bit about that. Verse 6, he, again, he, Moses challenges his people, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses turns, and it's like he speaks then directly to Joshua in front of the people. And he challenges them with these same sorts of things. If you look down at verse 9, 9 through 13, I think, bring us to the fourth truth that I want to share with you tonight. And we see verse 9 says, so Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests. And with this section, we see a fourth truth, is, and that is simply this. If we're going to live confidently in transition, we must keep God's truth at the center of everything we do and we say. Verses 9 through 13, Moses, he writes down this law, referring at least to Deuteronomy, probably the entire Pentateuch, these first five books. And Moses told the priests to read it to Israel, including the women and the children and the aliens, every seven years when they gathered at the Feast of Booths. The objective was, so it says it in verse 12 and 13, so that they would hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to do what? To observe all the words of this law. The children, even the children who have not known will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land. Certainly the priests were to charge and teach the law, not just every seven years, but certainly in these seven years, And at all times, God's truth was to guide them. And it would be God's truth that is their wisdom and understanding. Listen, if you will, just to this passage earlier in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 4 says this. Deuteronomy 4 says, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statues and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. Why were they going to say they were so wise and understanding? Moses said, because you would Hear and obey and do what God has says. This is your wisdom and this is your understanding. He continues in that passage. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as the whole law, which I am setting before you today? This was their wisdom. We don't have all the answers. There's uncertainties when we face something new. Who's going to do this and who will do that? And what are we going to do here? And how's God going to do this? We don't know. But what we do know is God's given us a sufficient word that God says is sufficient for everything that we need. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Hey, listen, to live the Christian life, what do you need more than the word of God? God's word is sufficient. God's word is what we need. We have a completed Bible. I mean, Moses was saying, hey, you know, follow what I've written in the first five books. And we have 66 books in a complete canon that answers the issues of life and godliness. We have a completed Bible today a sufficient word. So tonight, I don't know the transitions that you're facing. Certainly we as a church face transitions, uh, families face transitions, just different life stages. And sometimes these things are a little nerve wracking. And I, I like the same, I like the same. And these things come along and we're like, you know, what are we gonna do? How's this gonna be different? We don't have all the answers, but we can live confidently because we know the one who is walking right there with us. He's given us his promises. He's given us his presence, and his power can be displayed through us. Are there areas where life is changing for you? Do you feel a bit uncomfortable with the transition? It's natural and expected to feel a sense of discomfort because it's new. But you can be confident in the transition because you know God. He's right there with you, and he'll provide everything you need in this time. So we go back to the beginning. How can believers have confidence in times of transition? Well, just looking at this one little window in the word of God, we can have confidence when we accept that transitions are inevitable, and they're part of God's plan. We can have confidence when we keep God's work and his workers in perspective and know that God will accomplish his work. We can have confidence when when we remind ourselves that even though the future may have challenges and filled with uncertainties, God's gracious provision are sufficient for you. And we can have this confidence when we keep God's truth at the center of everything we do, everything we say, and we commit to follow him. I hope that encourages you tonight from the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful tonight that you have not left us here on this earth without direction. You give us your spirit, we who are believers, that indwells us. You give us opportunity to come to your throne of grace, that we would get grace to help in time of need. You give us a word which is sufficient for every issue of life and godliness. And you give us fellow believers who speak truth into our lives and help to be a means of grace to us. Thank you for your work. Lord, whatever the need is tonight, you know the need of our hearts. We pray that you would help us to be confident in you as we face these transitions, knowing that you're right there with us, that your word is sufficient, your spirit is powerful, and that tonight we can trust you with all these things because we know that you will accomplish your work for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.